RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. to the latest episode of the Rap Game Podcast. I am your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about a wide range of different things. SEC media days, college football, the pros, fantasy football, rap music. But now we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction. Going to have a friend of mine, one of the best in the business, we may be successful right now, but back in the day, it took us a while to get here because we had to survive a plethora of, let's be honest, crappy jobs. And to share his thoughts and to share with us those crappy jobs that he had to take on to get where he's at today is the man that's going to be joining me on this edition of the Rap Game Podcast. It's my friend, the host of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb on Sports 1280, Monday through Friday, 10 to noon. Also contributing writer for CrescentCitySports.com and The Bird Rights. It's the one and only David Grubb. David, good day to you, brother. How you doing? It's, you know, Wednesday's one of my busiest days, but, um, you know, anytime we get to talk, always that's fun. So I'm glad to be here with you, my friend. Well, I appreciate you making out the time, man. And you and I, this kind of just organically happened in a text back and forth where we just kind of got on the subject about just, you know, crappy jobs that we've all had to have. And it just kind of gave us the idea to do this podcast. So I thought we'd just kind of look at it this way, man. We were both on the radio. We're both writers. We're both killing it in media, so to speak. But it wasn't always the case, as we both know. So let's go back a little bit, man. When was the first job that you had that you got like a paycheck or even if you got money under the table? How old were you and what was that job? I was 15 years old and I was a summer camp counselor in training um, at St. Andrew's Summer Camp um, on the West Bank of New Orleans. And I got fired after a month. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you got fired after a month, and you were just uh, 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 in training. You weren't even officially a yeah. counselor. You were just in training, and you got fired after a month. How'd that happen, my man? Yeah. Okay, so I was assigned to a group of uh, the five-year-olds, which I loved. My kids were awesome. Uh, we had a great, great class of my kids. But me being 15, I was very much a 15-year-old. I was immature. So we'd go to a park, and things that we'd say, because I had like three friends who were counseled with me, and we'd do stuff to the kids because we knew that they could they just say anything. So we'd be at the, the park, and, you know, we had those big rope, um, you know, rope climbing things where they look like a tent or whatever, and you could just, like monkey ropes or whatever, what we used to call them. Yeah. And so we'd be standing up there, and we'd say, all, you know, all the five-year-olds say, oh. And so you'd always find them, oh. And so this gets back to the, the uh, director of the camp that we had all these kids using derogatory terms towards women. It's like, no. We just, we just, we just <laughs> and, and we're 15. This is what we say. And so that started it. And then 
there was another kid, and I hate to make you know kind of bring it up, but let's just say this kid used language towards me that, and he was a little bit older. He was like ten or eleven, and he used some language towards me that um, you can just imagine would draw the ire of a fifteen-year-old African American man. Yeah, there you go. And so I said something back to this kid, and apparently his parents were very, very um, well-connected with the the, uh, the director, and that became the thing that he was like, well, you had this, and now we have this, but now you have to go. Man, so... What did you tell your folks, man? When you so I, I would assume you had to get them to come pick you up early that day or whatever it might be. So how did that conversation go in the Grub household? My dad was actually more upset at the way things went down, and was a lot more of the lines of "Do you want me to make some phone calls?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, it's not worth it." You know, I I, I didn't care that much. It was my first job. It was, summer gig and I wasn't stressing it in that way. I knew it was wrong. I knew it wasn't but I mean at the time I just I didn't care enough to push it. But he was my dad was way more upset with how I got handled um than with me for getting fired. It reminds me of one of the uh, the, the toughest job I ever had. I must have been fourteen, maybe fifteen years old. And we were living in Illinois at the time. My dad worked the oil field so we moved around uh, West Bank of New Orleans, and then it was outside of Baton Rouge, and then he got this project that he had to go work on, and we moved up to central Illinois in the middle of being in cornfield. And my dad got me a job because I wanted to make a little extra money. I was into baseball cards and comics and wanted to save up money for a car. And my dad's like, okay. And I had chores around the house, but I wanted to make some like real money, right? Real, I got to make that real money. So my dad's like, okay, I'll get you a job. And the job he got me, he signed me up for a full week to go detassel corn by hand. And my man, when I tell you, like, I've never worked that hard in my entire life. I have never worked that hard in my entire life. Go out there, have to be out there for like 430. So got to wake up at four, get dropped off. My dad gives me like a lunch pail with everything that I need for the day. 25 minutes in, I'm hating it. I am just can't wait to get done with this. I don't think I'm going to make it through the day. And this is before everything is automated. So this is back enough where I just kind of, we rode on the tractor and we went go down the lines of corn and you have to pull the, the shucks of corn yourself with your hands. And I was like, just by the end of the day, I've never worked that hard. So I think, I think I'm going to hustle my parents here, right? It's the first day. It's Monday. And I get home, and my dad's not home from work yet, uh, from uh, doing the project at the refinery. And my mom's home, and I'm like, Mom. And she just got a big smile on her face. She goes, well, how did it go? And I says, I hate it. Can I quit? I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit. I don't want to go back. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care if I have to do extra chores around the house and clean the bathrooms twice a week or whatever it might be. I don't want to go back. Do you think Dad will let me quit? And my mom just kind of smiled. She goes, you can talk to your father when he gets home about that. So I wait till dad comes home and I tell him the whole thing. He just looks at me and he goes, nope, you're not going to quit. If you don't want to sign back up after this week, that's fine. But you committed to doing this job for a week, son, and you're going to stick to it. And that's I, that, this, this is no discussion. You gave that man your word that you'd come work for him for a week at a rate, and that's what you're going to do. Go back out there the next day. It got a little bit easier. All the other kids, D, that were out there with me on Monday, not a soul to be had. <laughs> Not a soul to be had. 
it was myself and a bunch of migrant workers working Tuesday. And I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The farmer actually offered me a job at the end of the week. I politely told him, no, thank you. I said, I'm good to go. And my dad had a big smile on his face. And he says, you're going to do better in school too, huh? I said, yes, sir. And he said, okay, there you go. And I was like, hey, that's a wrap. I'm not going to be detasseling corn for a living. No, and sometimes you, the, the importance of those jobs is to learn what you don't want to do. And I don't ever speak negatively about people who do do those jobs full time, but it's like, you know, you just, I had to figure out real early that I was not somebody who liked necessarily getting filthy while I worked. That was not something that I wanted to be involved in. And I learned it at my, the first long-term job I had, and it was a job that I had longer than anything because, you know, in communication, when you start out, you don't really keep jobs that long. No, you Moving don't. around a lot. <laughs> so the first job that I had for more than a year, was, I was, and the t- don't let the title fool you. I was a game room fun master at Chuck E. Cheese. Okay? Yes. Which sounds like it should be a great job. That's an awesome title, right? Game room fun master. I should, that should just be relaxing all the time. It was not. Okay, and I have terrible stories from Texas. Terrible, terrible stories. <laughs> First of all, I will tell you this. If you take your children to Texas, they're not within playing the ball. They're not. Man, that man, man that, that was my jam though when I was a kid. You go to Chuck E. Cheese back then; it was Showbiz Pizza where we lived, and that was what the right. other the other like half of the company before it became all Chuck E. Cheese. But going to the ball pit, but they don't even have the ball pit anymore, David. Right? They t- they got rid of it. Most of them have now. There are a few that still do, but in my time when I got there, cleaning the ball pit was one of the worst jobs you could get assigned to. Quite literally, like on most days for us, and, and please check the cheeses, our, our showbiz pizza time entertainment incorporated, that's the name of the company. Please forgive me for all this. Um, <laughs> but, so, you, they send you there and say, David, clean the ball pit. And they get into your shift, and you go in there. Now, most of the week, you do it the same way. Six out of the seven days, you do it the exact same way. You go in there with a broom. You push the ball to one side, and you pick up what you can find. And sometimes it's pieces of pizza, socks, toys. And then there are other times that it is number two. Or sometimes it's stuff that came out of the mouth. <laughs> and you're in there, and you don't always discover it by sight. Let me just say that. You don't always discover it by sight. And so I have I touched more than my share of things that I wish that I had not in the ball. So that is one. So two, we were used as janitors. Gabriel Fundasters were the janitors. So we had to go clean the bathroom. And cleaning public restrooms is not a fun thing, particularly when you have a bunch of kids who like to run around and they are hot and they've eaten pizza and they do all kinds of things to your carpet and all over your bathroom. And so you have that. Now, the most fun that we had were two things. Number one is you having to dress up as a cop. So I'm six foot three. At the time, I was 185 pounds. And they put the Chuck E. Cheese costume on you. It is not meant for people six foot three. <laughs> it is not meant for people with the arms that I have. So when I stood in that costume, you could see my ribs. You can see my skin <laughs> going out. You can see my ankles 
uh, out of the pan at the bottom. And before you put the suit on, I have to also let you know that the suit is only dry cleaned once a month. So you're talking seven days a week of different people wearing a top suit, sweating it up, dancing, stanking. All types of stank up in that suit, man. All types of stank was up in that suit. All types of stank. The collar around your head is a plastic collar, much like when you see people who have broken their necks and they're wearing a collar with the rods that go onto their shoulders. Yeah. It's that kind of collar with bolts sticking out of it. So when you go around, this is me. I'm walking around. I hated it. I hated doing it because, like I said, I looked terrible in the costume. I didn't like it at all. It was hot. It stank. I didn't want to do it. But you got to do it. So I'd go out there, and kids would be hitting me on the back of the head constantly, driving those screws into my skull. They'll come up, and they'll punch you in the stomach. They'll punch you in, the, in everywhere that they can. They elbow you. They do things. And you start to learn revenge tactics. And one of mine was when a kid asked to shake your hand that you saw hit you a little bit earlier, you give him a real good handshake and squeeze those knuckles a little bit. And so, oh, Chucky, that's too hard. Well, yeah, I saw you. I saw you earlier get the tough handshake. And so the other thing, though, was, so after you do the show and you put all this stuff away, it's, now you got to empty trash. So on the weekend, you know how many birthday parties that are. Cheap. Tons of birthdays. So we only had one dumpster in the back. So you go back, and the dumpster would get full. And our manager, again, taking advantage of the stupidity of 16- and 17-year-olds, we need the dumpster compressed. I need some of you guys to stand on the trash and jump on it and compress the, the trash in the dumpster. <laughs> sure, we'll do it. What do we get? One free pizza. That's more than enough. They put a little plastic piece of cardboard, you know, a piece of cardboard on top of the trash. You give you a ladder. You climb up. I jumped on the thing. And I slid straight to the bottom of the dump. Oh, D. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, man. How bad? How bad? Um, I could not drive myself home. Uh, so I walked home because I, I could not, you know, like I couldn't get in my car. My mother was not letting me in her car because I thought I was covered in, you know, dumpster juice. <laughs> And so they gave me a different shirt and uh, to wear out. They gave me a T-shirt, and I had to, I had to go home. Thank. And it was a good thing I only lived like four blocks away. But I was, I, I, that was not a good day for me. Oh man, that is that. That's another level. Bravo on that. Bravo. That reminds me, I worked retail. The only retail job I had. I'm not talking fast food. I'll get to my fast food experiences, but I worked for a year, nearly a year at Toys R Us, and I did it through Christmas. And this was back when they did the uh, prequels for Star Wars and the, the new Sega system, the Dreamcast, I think it was, was coming out. So yeah. people were all up in Toys R Us at that time. And I, let me tell you about some of the stuff. So I was not, at that time, I was a long-haired, uh, ear earring-wearing, um, a little bit of a hooligan. So they did not allow me to be the cashier. Let's just say that. Raymond did not get the cashier job. I got put in the back. So I was essentially the janitor at the end of the night. So I was responsible for sweeping the entire store. I was responsible for spot mopping because they would come do the floors in the morning. I was responsible for collecting all the buggies or shagging the buggies out in the parking lot. And to this day, David, my wife makes fun of me because when we go shopping, I will return the buggy into the buggy cart 
because I got so angry and pissed off at people because there would be a buggy two miles away from the Toys R Us entrance because it was in a mall. And I had to go all around the mall to collect all the damn buggies at night. I still put my buggy away. It's just like an OCD thing for me. But I also had to clean the bathrooms. And let me tell you, man, the restrooms in retail stores at a Toys R Us, just another level of, like, you need therapy afterwards. I tell people, dealing with customers and dealing with bratty kids, that's nothing. Dealing with people trying to steal stuff because they always trying to steal stuff at the retail joint. Always. That's not the problem. The problem is, at the end of the night, having to go clean the restroom. Like, when you get done, I just wanted to burn my clothes, man. I was just like, how are y'all living this way? Honestly, how are you living this way? How could you be this dirty and disgusting? How could you let your kids be this way? What is wrong with you? I ask myself that every single night, man. Every single night. I did my retail punishment. Oh, I forgot one more. Okay, I'm going to tell you this before I move to retail. So this, again, you know how, I mean, you're just stupid when you're young. You listen to your boss because that's what you think you're supposed to do, right? That's what you do. Yeah, and and plus, plus you you and Dyer need to get that paycheck because you need gas money and you need money to go hang out with your friends and try to get a girlfriend. That's the other thing. That's 5.5 an hour with everything. Oh, everything, dude. Everything. That was everything. You know, People have no idea, and I think it's funny that you know kids now because they get paid a little bit more than we did. Man, getting a two hundred and twenty-five dollar paycheck—that was like uh, it was like you won the lottery when you got that paycheck every two weeks. You're like it's payday, right? Oh, and they hand it to you. Oh, just, uh, that's just a dream. But so again, our communities love to use us as unpaid labor. So. They decided that one night they were going to rip up the um, the uh, insulation in the ceiling. And if anybody's ever dealt with insulation, you know the paint insulation with fiberglass in it. You will be itchy for days oh, if you don't. If, 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 if you don't wear those long sleeve shirts, David, you're going to be itching for days. Oh yeah, so that's how this went. So they, there's three of us. They say, "Hey, you come in. I give you time and a half and a pizza." Well, great. Time and a half. And the pizza. This is awesome. And the pizza. That doesn't tell us how to dress. That tell us what we need to be prepared for. Because I got everything covered. You just show up. So, you know, this is New Orleans in the summer. So we were in short sleeves. And no neck covering. And, you know, short. And we're ripping out fiberglass. And like you said, I get home that night and I'm itching. And I'm itching. I get in the shower. And you know, when you, if you touch fiberglass and you go into the shop, it feels like you are being cut by two million different pieces of glass. Oh, it's awful. All at once. It's awful. It, it's oh, $5.25. $5. Oh, man, it reminds me. That reminds me, D, is that, so I, I worked at Toys R Us, and like I said, I had to deal with all that. Also had to deal with, <laughs> there was so much just thievery. <laughs> but also by employees too, because that five twenty five or that five seventy five wasn't enough. So you know, Star Wars came back up, so they released all the toys again at that time, and they had all those new lines. And I'd see people come to the back door, like the loading dock area where the truck would come, and we would use that back door if people wanted to say have their uh, 
their play state their, their play sets built you know the little tyke stuff the little houses and stuff like right. that uh you'd also could pay extra to have your bike assembled so i'd be assembling bikes and uh, and, and anything like that or like little um you know the, the little cars and everything like that so i'd be doing that so you'd come to the back to pick that stuff up right if it was too big you couldn't take it out of the front and go into the mall you just have to circle around to the back when i tell you i can't tell you how many times people just roll up get out of their car, knock on that door, and I'd answer the door, and I'd be like, yeah, how can I help you? And you're like, hey, man, um, do you guys have any new shipments of those Star Wars toys? Because I need to get my hand on that Yoda, or I need to get my hand on that Anakin Skywalker. I, I, man, what if I slip you a 20? Can you hook me up? Like, constantly, like, it was like dealing dope. Like, it was the weirdest thing. I was like, this is toys. We're talking about toys. And you guys are just throwing around money like it's the latest drug to hit the market. Just all types of stuff on the back end like that. And I remember one time, <laughs> so you're talking about that labor, right? You're talking about getting paid and then getting paid with pizza. So Toys R Us was building a store outside of Atlanta. And they reached out to the people in the, the southeast region at those at those stores. And I was working in Mobile at that time, living with my grandparents. And they needed help building a store. So they got the actual shell of the store up, you know, construction company, actually legit people building it. But what they did is that they just asked for help to come in for a period of two weeks. So one shift would come in for that period of the week. They put you up in a hotel room get you a rental car and you would construct all the shelving in there and do all the signage, all the inside stuff that the construction company isn't doing. And then the second wave would come in and stock all the shelves. So they asked who wants to volunteer for that. And like you said, got paid time and a half and they were us for the food. So I signed up, man. I was like, I, I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. And uh, went over there and helped build a Toys R Us store and got to go to six flags like three times in the, in the week and everything like that, you know, Six Flags over Georgia. So, uh, but it was just crazy how that was, you know, so many people, and I, I don't see it as much now, D, when I go out to retail stores, it's a, it seems to be that the employees are a little bit older now, maybe in their 20s. But man, I remember, you and I are around the same age, I remember a lot of the labor, whether it was for fast food, restaurants, or retail, there was a lot of like 16, 17, 18, 19 year old kids that were the majority of the workforce. Like my boss at Toys R Us was 31 years old. Like he was the oldest person in the building. It's changed so much because we were, yeah, we were all like I think like a third, <laughs> almost it seemed like in my senior class we all worked together at Chevy Cheese and because uh, we all were just like near our school, we all know each other. Let's go over there, and it became one of those things. And then when I was finally finished with that. Um, you know, you go to college and then you start trying to find others, you know, obviously you try to make your way after that. Well, my first kids were, yeah, retail like you, because I was a retail waiting table. And again, I think, I, I do think everybody should have to work in a service industry at some point. I agree. There's, you learn so much about people when you work in a service industry. Um, you learn about how to communicate with different types of people. You learn how to ignore certain things. You learn how to be diligent about certain things. You learn how to be and, patient um, and how to bite your tongue. Yes. And that was so important. And, I, and you learn, like, you start affecting. Like I, had, I had at least eight or nine different voices for different types of companies. You know, the way you talk to them. Because you, 
people want to be talked to a certain way. Some people want you to come in and be a very casual person in retail or as a, as a waiter. Some people want you to be very attentive. Some people want you to stay out of the way and just come up when they need you. So you start figuring those things out, and that's basically what work is anyway, is adapting to those different environments. But at the same time, you're right. Whether it's in that dressing room, working at Dillard's working at and having to clean up dressing rooms, they're some of the filthiest places ever where people will leave behind that they've tried on or that they've worn to shop with. It's just disgusting. And then, but it also, it does affect you because I became one of those people now. Everything I fold, I fold like I was in the store. It stays, D, it stays with you, right? Like I was talking about the thing with the, the shopping carts. Like I still do that. I also do another thing where, look, one of my first big jobs like really full-time jobs in high school was working at Hardee's. We lived in Illinois at that time and I worked at Hardee's and I'd worked for about a year or so beforehand. Our little town of 2,900 people had an auction house, believe it or not. And inside of there was a diner and that was my first job. I scooped ice cream out of the window and had to wash all the dishes. And then I learned how to work the grill and then I waited some tables and then when I got to the age where I was driving and I was about to have my car, by the way, 1979 Monte Carlo, just pointing that out. So I wanted to get a better job, a higher paying job. So all my friends worked at Hardee's. So I was like, I want to go. So I get hired. I'm having to fry chicken. That's my job. I was the chicken boy for like six months. And then I moved up and then I had to do the grill and then I do prep work and everything like that. And when I was in high school, I was actually managing the overnight shift on the weekends like my senior year in high school because it, it paid me more money because I wanted to save up money to be able to go to school so right. fast food and so many horror stories so the thing is is like working overnights we had at Hardy's that time they had bus contracts with Greyhound so Greyhound where I lived was about an hour west of Terre Haute Indiana and about two hours east of St. Louis and about three hours south of Chicago. So there was a lot of bus traffic from the interstate. And so we have these great, so it'd be dead, right? It's overnight. It's 2.30 in the morning. Ain't nothing going on. And then all of a sudden a Greyhound bus pops up and there's like 50 people that all just swarm in and they all want to have monster burgers and extra fries and everything. And literally the crew is three people, myself, another per four people, myself, Whoever's working in the back with the prep, I'm working the grill, putting everything together. I'm the manager. And then two people work in the counter. That's it. A, a, a staff of four. And you get just slammed with like 50 people. I had to call the police more than a few times. Had to call an ambulance a few times because someone was eating a burger and just had a heart attack in the middle of eating it. And they had to be left behind because the bus driver's like, well, I'm leaving. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, but how many times people throw food and they get drunk? And I had a guy one time, I lost my cool. I had this guy one time, he was berating the girls that were working up front through the speaker. He came up to the window. I had to come up there. I gave him his food. He knocked on the window and he's like, my food is cold. And he threw it back through the window. And I just picked it up off the floor and threw it right back to him. And I tell people all the time, I tell people this all the time and people complain about their fast food experience and they're like, why does it take so long? Why are they screwing up the order? So forth and so forth. And I tell them, I say, look, 
I remember the line from Fight Club, we are the people that take care of the things that you don't want to take care of. I'm paraphrasing. You don't want to piss off the people that are giving you their food through the fast food window because, D, you don't know what they're going to do with it. You just don't. And if you decide to get mouthy with them, trust me, from experience, seeing it done, you don't want to eat that burger. You don't want to eat that chicken sandwich. You don't want to have that stuff. If you decide you'd be belligerent and curse somebody out and call them names through the speaker and at the window, my man, that's going to be a mistake for you. Trust me on this. Now, you saying that you, you were, you've only seen tampering? You, you never participated? <laughs> In any tampering? I mean, there was probably there's probably a few occasions that there was some tampering going on. Yes, yes. limitations has expired on this. <laughs> I'm not worried about losing my. I also, I also hooked up my boys because one of my best friends, he's still one of my best friends today. He worked the overnight shift at this, uh, uh, at this plant, and uh, he'd come by. He just worked the weekends, and he'd take his lunch break, and he'd be like, "Hey, I'll take this," and he'd order whatever you know, just like a couple of hamburgers or something, and I'd give him like. You know, I I put other food into the the card that was supposed to be for something else and hook them up. Right. We even called. We had a thing there where we had our um, we had our little uh, uh lockers, right? Little just you know, little like two by two lockers where we'd put our personal items, keys, wallet, everything like that. And, and we called that area the Bat Cave. That's what we would do. We put all our stuff back there, and we called it the Bat Cave. And we would pick one locker that no one used. And what we would do, we would make extra food on purpose <laughs> that we knew that wouldn't sell, like extra hamburger patties, extra fries or whatever. And instead of throwing it in the trash, which you're supposed to do, you're supposed to document it, write it on a sheet of paper and say, this is what waste we have. We would say that we threw it in the trash and then took it back there and put it in the bat cave. And we had that scam running on for about, I don't know, about four four to six months. And then someone got sloppy with it and that got shut down. Or in the middle of the night, if you work the overnights, my buddy, <laughs> who was the manager before me, we would work together, and we'd have people come by and bring us uh, adult beverages for food. So you'd trade out the food, and you give them through the drive through window, and you'd give them the food, and then they'd give you um, the liqueur through the drive through window, and you just keep it in the walk-in cooler and just make sure you take it with you when the morning before the morning crew came so you go take out the trash before an hour before they came and you made sure you took everything that you didn't need to have in there and you got rid of it so to speak yeah i think every job that you start out with or at some point when you're young you try to figure out ways to game the system uh oh always you know know, again we're not making a ton of money and you really try to just, hey, your friends are hooking you up and you hook your friends up in return. I, I loved my friends at McDonald's because at the end of the night, I would get all the nuggets I could eat. You know, that was great. Um, but at like, you know, yeah, so at, when I worked at Finish Line and I was doing retail at, the shoes, at, the, at a shoe store. Oh, you worked at the shoe course, store. Never did that. Always wanted to. Oh, man. So, yeah, that's fun in regards like I always knew when the sneakers came in. You know, I, had, I I wore 13, so I could use my discount, grab the 13s as soon as they came in and, and hide them away. But at the same time, everybody wants the hookup. And the worst of Jordan's days. You know, when Jordan's got, whenever Jordan is getting 
and you know you have to open up. You know, malls open up typically at 10 a.m. On a Jordan day, we were there at 5.30 because we were opening the store at 6.30. And the line would already be because the mall would have to put security from our store straight to the exit, and there would be, like, this long barrier, you know, just the, um, like, at the movies, those kind. Yeah. And so there'd be this long line all the way out to the to the main door, and you're there, and you're just like, this is not going to be fun. <laughs> and so when those people come in, they're just tearing your shoes up, you know, going over through everything. And then, and this it sounds xenophobic, but it is absolutely not. When there's a language barrier, it can be difficult for people to shop. Anybody. You know, if, you, if, if I went to Europe and I couldn't speak the language, I'd have difficulty shopping. If I went to Spain, that's all shopping. But, so I would get a lot of people who came in who were, you know, day laborers who would come in for shoes and they see the shoes on the rack and they would try those on, which, you know, if you work at the shoe store, usually the shoe on the rack is the smallest possible shoe you can put up there because it's the one that people don't buy. So it's like a six and a half or a seven until all those, all the other good sizes are gone. They would try those on and then look at you like they, like you had the problem because it doesn't fit. And that was annoying. And then, of course, you have people who come in whose feet stink. You know, those are never good. People who come in with no socks, those are never good. I mean, it's just, there's no, anything that you do pretty much at that age, I think you end up hating it at some point. No matter how cool it can be at times, you end up hating it. Because, I mean, even as a waiter, I was a great waiter. And, you know, I think as a waiter, if you average $100 a night, you're doing good. Oh, you're doing so really was, good. So I was one of those people, and I was felt great about it. But there were also things that, hey, just drove you to the point where it's like, what do you do? And I mean, this is the most, this is my most disgusting waiter story. So I'm giving you forewarning. I'm working at a restaurant called Don Pablo's Mexican Grill. And they're not really in the South. Mostly, they were at the time, I think they are mostly in the East. I was living in North Carolina at the time. I'm working at Don Pablo's Mexican Grill doing a lunch shift. And a woman wearing a green sweatshirt, sitting at my table, she's wearing a green sweat, sweatshirt, sweatpants, the whole thing. Um, and she goes to the restroom. Okay? She's on my table. When she comes back, I notice that she has a large brown streak from the center of her back down to the bottom of a buttock. This is my table. Oh, <laughs> man. Ooh, that, that, that might have been the night to say I'm going to call it quits. I, it, it, came, it just came to me that I was like, I can't say anything. This is I cannot tell this woman that she's got a dookie stain running down her back. <laughs> because how, how do you approach that sensitively? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not the one to do this. You don't put that in the hands of a 21-year-old. So, I, I told the manager, and he didn't want to say anything. So, we literally let her finish her piece and walk with that thing on her back. And then, I, you know, I know I'm supposed to clean my chair, that chair afterwards. I just took it and put it in somebody else's section to take that clean chair. Yeah, that's uh, that's gross. I one time working at Toys R Us, I can't tell you how many times working retail, and I, I I just have questions. Like I I would always go home with questions like, why are your dirty drawers left in the bathroom? Why are dirty drawers left in the aisle? Like you just be collecting buggies, and it'd be one thing you know you come across like dirty full diapers. Okay, 
yeah, I, you change your kid in the parking lot. I don't agree yeah. with it. I wouldn't do it. But come on now. But like just dirty, like actual underwear. And I'm like, what are y'all doing, man? What are y'all doing? How are y'all living your life? I got to ask you, D. You've been in communications a long time like I have. And I did a job not once but twice. I had two uh, what I call uh, terms, uh, bids, if you will, as a telemarketer, both inbound and outbound calling. And let me tell you something. <laughs> learned a lot about myself. Learned a lot about life. Being a telemarketer, man. First time was up in Illinois. I worked for this company called Illinois Consolidated. Did a mainly inbound calling. I had this one time, I, I worked on this program called Supergroup. And people would call and it'd pop up on the monitor, on, on, the, on the monitor attached to the phone, what program these people were calling for. So it had 15 different programs. So I'd have to go through, and we're talking like the old school computer screens, with the uh, brown screen and the yellow and the yellow text, and go in there and process their order. So someone would call and they'd be calling for a Dilbert calendar, or they'd be calling for uh, you know I want to get the Michigan State Michigan travel uh, brochure or guide or whatever it might be. So I'm sitting there one day, and it's a Sunday, and I'm just and you did you didn't know uh, we didn't do outbound calling on the weekends. I don't think it was allowed, but you did inbound calling. So if you wanted to make a little extra money. You do the inbound calling on the weekends, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and this thing pops up, and it's for the, the Michigan State of Michigan travel brochure. And I'm like, okay. So this gentleman goes in, and I'm, I'm processing his information. I said, okay, sir, what's your name? Da, da, da. Now, mind you, he's called me. He's like, he gets all upset because he's watching the Packers game, and they've come back from commercial, and he saw the commercial for the brochure during the commercial break. And now he's getting angry with me because I'm asking just for basic information. Like, literally, it was going to take a minute. Your name, your address, you know, do you want any of these other special brochures that come with it for free? We'll have it out to you. Like, just, you know, bang, bang, bang. Just real, real quick. This cat, an older gentleman, starts yelling over the phone. Just starts, like, yelling over the phone at me. And he's like, why did you call me on a Sunday? Why did you call me and bother me during my football time? And I was like, sir, you called us, remember? And just the silence on the other end, he's like, oh, yeah. Can you send me that travel mag? And I was like, yes, I can be. So you got to learn how to be patient because if you curse at another person, like you normally probably would if you were in the street or if you're at a party or if you're talking to your friends and someone mouths off at you, you would probably mouth off back or walk away. But you can't do either of those things. But I tell you a trick. I tell, tell this to people all the time, too. Telemarketer calls you. They're bugging you. And you hang up on them. Dirty little secret. Every time you hang up on a telemarketer, you know what they do in their computer screen, D? They say, call back, was not home. Yep. Every yep. single yep. time. So if you get, once again, these are the lessons you learn when you have to work crappy jobs is how to treat people the right way. And I've told people that I says every time I says, look, if you don't want to have to be called, you ask them to put you on the do not call list. Now that used to work a lot better than it does nowadays. Now I'm getting calls for auto warranty reups from Oklahoma for no good reason. But that's what you would do because every time you'd hang up on us, Oh, okay. All right. So you're going to be like that? That's not a problem. You're going to curse at me? Especially if you cursed at me, I'd say call back. 
I'd say callback, not available, wasn't at home. Do that every single time. Man, I had to do, I did, um, yeah, the call center thing one Christmas to make some extra money. Um, and we were, I was doing one of the ones that where you sell aluminum siding. You know, you try to get people to take the appointment uh, so that somebody could come over and try to sell them some siding. Like, that was one of those ones that made me feel dirty because, <laughs> like, the script and you read it and it tells you what to do. And I didn't even think about it until years later until I saw, like, Boiler Room and Wolf of Wall Street and stuff. I'm like, that's what I was doing. Yeah, the rebuttal, you know, right? Like, you got you got to do the rebuttal because if they tell you no, you can't simply hang up the phone because you have no. rebuttal number one and rebuttal number two on convincing them to make a donation to the Fraternal Order of Police or to buy long-distance service or siding. There's always, and you get fired if you didn't do those rebuttals. Yeah, they're listening to your call. Yes. They're making sure that you go through the book with them. And you start to realize real quickly that a lot of the numbers are older people on fixed incomes. And you're like, man, this doesn't feel right at all. You know, like, I, don't, I don't want to force these people into making these appointments. They don't want this stuff. And I was like, I don't want them calling me. But you're absolutely right. It, it, you were told if, if nobody answered or if they hung up on you, you said call them back again. And the next day their name would show up on your list or somebody else's list. And we call them back again. And it was just, I mean, the amount of calls you have to make. And then that whole culture of, okay, you sold one, ring the bell, boom, 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 and that kind of stuff. And it, it becomes extremely competitive for something that has no real gain for you other than making calls. Because you don't get a cut. You don't get money. No, you no, know you, don't, you don't get a cut. And... You know, the whole thing about, oh, you were the top salesman. There's, I, did, I did it twice. I did it for a year and a half when I was in junior college up in Illinois. And I got fired from that job. <laughs> I got fired from that job uh, because I kept coming in late um, because I was 20 years old and I was living my life to the fullest. So I got fired from that job. But when I did it a second time back here in Louisiana, it was outside of Alexandria at the old Air Force Base. And let me tell you about this this place. I'm not going to name them, but let's just say things were quite relaxed, David, at this a call center. Okay, it was the type of call center where uh, there was no drug testing, uh, there was no background checks done. If you know what I mean, it was the type of place that you could see a guy in the parking lot. Actually, check that. One of the shift managers would go behind the building and smoke a blunt with some of the employees that's the kind of place this was right and this is where i'm working at so this is the first this is the last job i had before i got into media full-time so i'm working at this place and we would call and one of our big things was the fraternal order of police and we did it for two different states so it was like a donation right. thing right so yep the sticker so Everyone would try to lead the room, and there'd always be that hot shot that would want to win the night, right? And the managers would all pump them up like you'd see in the movies, and it's like, I got a gift card here to Chili's for whoever is going to sell the most tonight, right? And people would fight like they that, that, that would be like, that would be the best thing ever, right? And I never won the room, never won the night ever. So what I would do, I would I would take a different approach. And like you mentioned earlier with the way your voice was, so it all depended on what part of the country we're calling so if we called the carolinas i would make myself sound a little bit more southern and have a little bit of a slower draw and i'd be like 
yes, ma'am, how are you doing today? And I would slow it up a little bit and I would never ask them to donate over the phone. What I did, what the way I hustled this was, I would say, you know what? I'm just going to send you the information in the mail and whatever you can do. You know, look, we have you could do the bronze, which is a $20 donation. The silver is 30 and the gold is 40. But look, you know, you don't have to make that decision right now. I'm just going to send you the form. I'm going to send you the stuff and whatever you can do, that will help out and that will be great. How about that? How, how what, what, what we do that for you today? And every time, D, that would work. And I was always like a top five salesman for the month because I would have steady returns on people that didn't feel forced, right? Because I wasn't trying to berate them and trying to trick them into donating. I would just be pleasant and say, hey, whatever you can do. And they'd get that in the mail and they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's that guy that said wanted to donate for the Fraternal Order of Police. Well, you know what? I'll send in 10 bucks. Well, guess what? I'd make 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there, 10 bucks there. Those 10 bucks add up where the guy who was selling and win the night, those people never sent in their money because they just wanted to rush them off the phone and they'd say, sure, I'll sign up for this. And when the thing came for them to sign up, they're like, I ain't signing up for this and I ain't paying for this. Every single time. I Adjusting the people is so interesting uh, when you take those jobs because you are, you're still figuring yourself out, your voice. And yep. so when you're in communications, you're already spending a lot of time because I know I did. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I wanted to sound, how I wanted to, to present myself. And that was a lot of my free time is because you are constantly practicing. People don't understand how insecure this business can make you because you're always constantly fidgeting with the way you look, with the way you sound, with the way you sit. All those things are, are very important to you. And so when you get into the workforce, I think it, it, it did help me so much because you do become kind of a chameleon for people, and your job is to make them feel comfortable. But then at the same time, as you, like you said, people come in and customers can be so abusive and not just with language, but like the way that they, they the way they treat your store, the way they treat you, the way that they just act as if they're doing you a favor. And like, of course, we want you to shop here, but you're not doing me a favor just by your presence because I don't know if you're going to buy something. But you know, the, the the stuff you get with returns, with no receipts, boxes that are torn open. <laughs> um, when you're a waiter, you deal with people who eat three quarters of the meal and then decide to send it back. Um, you know, those kinds of things. Those things will drive you nuts. And people don't understand is that how much restraint and how much stress the average. I mean, there's a reason that when waiters get off, they all go drink. Always. And they, like, Always. I don't know waiters who get, who get off work and then just go home. And it's just, I mean, and some of it's worse. I worked for a particular restaurant that is no longer in business on St. Charles Avenue in New Orleans. And the restaurant was owned by a former um, New Orleans State football coach, but uh, I guess that uh, and it was a steakhouse. And he uh, famously uh, traded his whole draft for one player, but that's all I'm going to say. I hope that doesn't give away too much. No, um, no, I, I have no idea who you're talking about. Not at all. So <laughs> I'm working at that restaurant. And I'm a waiter, and that's, it was a semi-fine dining restaurant, which for folks who, you know, you have a, an A waiter and a B waiter. Your A waiter is the one who addresses the table. The B waiter is the one who takes care of the the, the day-to-day, the, the picking up the plates, the getting the crumbs off the table, all that stuff. So I'm the A, and I have a B. 
We had two sets that night because it was a light night. Because in five out eight, again, you go basically by the reservation. So we had a light night, just two two teams on. My partner and I get assigned the first table. And again, when you're doing these things, they're all by seat numbers. So if I have four and the next person gets two, I'm not going to get that again until they get four. I get, you know, those are the rules. That's just how I work. Yeah. Fine. Well, the guys who were on the uh, the other set, those two guys, one was a heroin addict, the other was a crack addict. <laughs> okay. The heroin addict, literally, like after we got our table, they were set. He walked up to me in the kitchen and said, "That's our table. Why did you take it?" I said, "I don't look. The hostess put people at the table. I'm just doing my job." He pulled out a steak knife and he tried to stab me. Okay, what? He tried to stab me in the restaurant. I told the manager. The manager sent him home, and he was suspended for two days. Didn't fire him. And then when he, when I said, "Why didn't you fire this guy who tried to?" Stabbed me, he said. Well, remember that time he did a no call, no show, and I'm like, how is that even? How is that even? He tried oh, the no call, me. no show, man. The no call, no show. He tried to stab me, and a week later, dude was back, and he was in his, you know, uh, heroin. And I don't even know how. I'm not saying this for me. I don't know how, but heroin makes people sleepy, and dude had a whole tray. Fell asleep standing up, and the tray fell off his head. They still didn't fire. So I mean, like this is the stuff you deal with when you're you're younger and you're doing these jobs, and it's just holding your sanity together to oh, come man. back to work every day. It reminds me, and not wanting to quit at that same call center in Louisiana. So I'm there, and there's this one guy who's a hot shot, and he was from Florida. It was the type of place, D, that when people's cars broke down, instead of getting it fixed because they didn't have enough money to get that car fixed, they just stayed in the area and got a job there. Okay, it's one of those places. So this guy was from Florida and he was a hot shot and he thought he was just just the second coming, man. Like he like he he could sell everything. He was always tops on the board and everything. Well, he was feeling himself so much that he thought it was a good idea to uh hook up with one of the managers, one of the female managers. And but he forgot to tell everyone that he had uh, an old lady and a baby mama back in Florida. So we're there working. It's like five o'clock in the evening. And this call center had, you know, the main entrance to it through the main entrance, but then had two emergency exits. And I'm sitting there or standing rather making phone calls. And all of a sudden I see the police come and they just break right in, like just bust through the doors. It was like a movie. And they coming in from all entrances, the sheriff's deputies, it's Alexandra police, it's the it's the whole nine yards. And they just come in and they just come in guns and blazes and they come in right to that guy and they're like, get on the ground. And I'm like, I'm just looking at myself and I still got someone on the line, right? So I just put it on mute. Well, this is going on. And then I get back up there and I'm trying to try to time where I can talk to them during the ruckus. They got him. His old lady found out that. He had was hooking up with one of the managers. So what she did is that he had an outstanding warrant for something else back in Florida. So she called the police here, there in Alexandria, because she was so upset that her man was cheating on her and got him arrested. And let me tell you something, David, after he served his time in county, well, parish, rather, parish jail, he came right back to work like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. They're like, yeah, come on down. Hey, man, that's sorry. I'm sorry to hear about that, that the police, you know, just basically broke down the doors here in the call center and arrested you on the floor. But go ahead. Come on back. You're good. 
because that turnover is so high. Three days. Burn out three days. So three quickly. Right. Three days for the call center. Three days for the call center, man. Hey, that also reminds me. So you were mentioned about, you know, uh, being a waiter. I, I only did waiting. I only was a waiter partially, but I worked a lot of restaurants, just not fast food. But I worked at a like a roadhouse, uh, like steakhouse place uh, in Illinois. And I worked in the back. So I had to like chop up the what their knockoff blooming onions were and do all the chopping up of the pork butt into pulled pork sandwiches and all that nasty stuff. And you're right, even the back end, the back of the house crew would always go out drinking afterwards as well, too. And you couldn't get the smell off of you. Like if you worked in the back of the kitchen, like you just felt greasy for days, like you could go home and wash in lava soap and it didn't matter. And you have to wear those terrible black pants that seemingly absorbed all the grease that you could. So I did that, but I also worked at a casino. And let me tell you something. That was that wasn't the hardest job I had, D. It was the worst job I had. The absolute worst. I had to work overnights. We moved back to Louisiana from Illinois. The only job I could find, my 2-year junior college degree in radio TV broadcasting did not open up doors for me. I know you're surprised. So, I have to get a job because I got bills to pay. So I get a job at the casino. I won't I won't say what casino. But I get a job at the casino. I have to work overnights. And I working in the restaurant inside the casino. And our restaurant had a breakfast buffet. And let me tell you something. How people act a fool at the casino anyway. And then when you add to the fact that it's the weekend. And they're drunk. And they've lost all their money. And the only thing that they want is to have the food they want to have it. And if your buffet doesn't have the food they want, they will take that food and just throw it on the damn floor right in front of you. I can't tell you how many times I just wanted to whoop somebody's ass working at the casino because that was by far the worst. The absolute worst is dealing with the 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 drunk, just the belligerent drunks who lost all their money and would just wreck the buffet. I was constantly out there restocking the buffet, the breakfast buffet, and trying to clean it up. And they would just throw the spoons down on the ground. They'd pick up stuff with their hands. I'm just like, does your mama know how you behave? Like, you just you just want to shake them and go, I'm going to pray for you because I, I feel like you need to get closer to Jesus because you ain't living right. And, it's, it's, and people will think it's a socioeconomic thing and it doesn't matter. And you and I both know it goes across Every line possible. There are people who are jerks no matter how much money they have, that no matter is correct. where they live. And one of the great examples of that for me is I, I volunteered to work at um, what was then the Freeport Magmaran Golf Classic, you know, um, at English Tournament. Oh, wow. So we volunteered to, so we, we were volunteers to, to, to clean up the course. You know, they give you the little stick with the uh, clamp on the end and a trash bag. And you go around and you clean up the course. No big deal. You know, you get, I was getting some community service hours for school. Um, you know, you do it for, uh, you know, three, four days and they're done. Great. No problem. But, you know, this is the audience that you expect to be a little bit more refined um, at, uh, at a golf tournament. And, you know, English term puts out plenty of garbage cans. Plenty. It's English term. So they've got trash cans next to every grandstand next to every hole there's trash cans everywhere we're there to just make sure you know little pieces of paper and stuff get up well i go to this one grandstand and i can't remember what hole it is because again this is a long time ago but there's a guy sitting right on the end of the highest part of the grandstand 
and there's a trash can right next to him. He decides, he sees me, and he drops the trash right in front of me. So now, you picked the wrong person to get into a battle with, sir. So I picked it up with my clamp, and I put it right back next to him. And so this went on, him dropping it and me picking it up for about five minutes. Because I wasn't going anywhere. I was going to win this battle. He had engaged. You know, this is this is Maverick taking down Migs, man. I am engaged. I'm not leaving my wingman. I'm in it. And me and that guy went back and forth until he got up and cursed me out. And then I said, but you're going to throw that trash away. And he did. So I won. That <laughs> and that was a great win for me. Because, you know, when, anytime you can beat somebody who's older than you when you're younger – and you can make them feel bad for doing something dumb. Man, those are precious few opportunities. So I, I, I rode with that one. Oh, man, they they are bravo to you, brother. Bravo to you, because those are few and far between. I will say this. The casino job was just awful. Just, just, just dreadful. But I do have a favorite memory from that. And, you know, they always had the performers come through. And at that time, they only had the buffet at this casino and our restaurant and another little like little bar restaurant. Now it's now it's all been expanded and everything, but back then, 20 some odd years ago, they didn't. So we were the spot for the entertainers and they would stay, right? So I am a prep chef. Didn't go to culinary school, but they could just called it a prep chef. So I'm preparing all the food and I handle the breakfast buffet. But in a pinch, if one of the line cooks or the line chefs are gone on a smoke break, then I jump in and help. Well, it's, I don't know, it's like 3.30 in the morning. And it's just dead silent. And the phone rings. And it was the phone that you're not supposed to answer. Like, we were told, don't answer that phone. There was one phone in the kitchen. And it was from, like, the suite. The nicest suite that they had at that time at the casino. And that's where they put the stars up. The ones that would stay. So no one's around like my boss, the head chef, he's on taking a smoke break and you can't let the phone not be answered. So right. I roll over. I pick up the phone. It's little Richard. Little Richard is on the other line and little Richard. And at first I thought it was someone punking me, but th there's no other line like you, you couldn't jump in. Right. That's a hard line. And right. he introduced himself and I said, yes, yes, sir. Mr. Little Richard. And he said, just call me. Just call me little Richard. I said, yes, sir. So I still called him Mister because I couldn't help myself, and we had already sent up his room, his his plate of food for to room service like forty five minutes before. So that's why my boss decided to go take a smoke break. He thought Little Richard was taken care of. The talent was taken care of. Little Richard, I'm not making this up. He wanted another big bowl of grits, and I said, "Yes, sir. We'll take care of that. We'll have that sent up right to you." So I hang up the phone. I start making the grits. My boss comes back. He's like, what are you doing? I said, little Richard wants more grits. He goes, what do you mean? Little Richard wants more grits. I says, little Richard called the phone. You weren't here. And little Richard, a beloved icon wants some more grits. So I'm making him more grits. That's what's happening right now. I was like, that was, that was, that was my brush of fame with, 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 with little Richard. He just called as nice as it can be. And he just, you know, thanked me for giving him the grits. And I said, not a problem. We sent it up to room service, but yeah, that was the highlight of just an awful, awful, like six months working at the casino. I hated every single day going to that job, but that's the thing D right. We're wrapping it up, man. It's mm -hmm. you learn so much about yourself. 
You learn so much of how to deal with the public. And you also learn what you need to do to ensure that you don't have to work those jobs for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And I'm going to give you my quick rundown of the most famous people that I got to serve. And it's a cool list. And number one is surprising. Uh, not in any order, but number one, Mystical loves Applebee's. Mystical loved Applebee's? Loves Applebee's, man. Nice. I served three times at Applebee's. Three times. Okay. Um, I also served Percy Sledge at Applebee's. Oh. Um, I have served, who else? Okay, I got to remember all these. Um, Dominique Wilkins. I served Dominique. Um, I served Jim Mora, who did not tip. Uh, no tip. Oh, Jim come on, Mora. coach. What are you uh, doing? <laughs> and he got his meal for free, and he didn't tip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> woulda, coulda, shoulda, shoulda tipped me. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, who's the one other one that I did? Oh, there was one other famous person, and I'm trying to remember. There's another singer. Um, I can't remember right now, but yeah, those those are the moments when you're just like, oh, okay, and they treat you really cool. Oh, there was another actor. Do you remember the movie um, uh, Euro Trip? Yeah. The, the nerd in that movie who had the camera. Okay, okay. I know who you're talking about. I, I served him, and I also served Patrick Peterson. There you go. There you go. Now, that's a flex at the end there. That's a flex at the end. Oh, man. David, man, I appreciate the time today, brother. Uh, look, keep up the great work that you're doing there with sports. Um, everything in New Orleans. I know you're contributing for CrescentCitySports.com. You do stuff for the bird rights and, of course, hard in the paint on Sports 1280. It's a huge success. You're just blowing up, man. You're doing it all with all forms of media. Keep up the great work, my friend. Hey, man, you know we got to be versatile in this day and age. If, we can't, if we're just doing one thing, we ain't doing nothing. And you know what? I'm going I'm to say this. I'm going to say this. Based on uh, our experiences with all those jobs, I think it makes us uh, better equipped and a little bit more motivated than most to succeed and make sure to do all these things either, too. I'll tell you that. Hey, if you didn't figure out how to multitask working in a restaurant, you'll never figure it out. And by the way, I'm going to have nightmares on what you told me about Chuck E. Cheese. I'm just going to let you know that now. (laughs) (laughs) My my wife is going to hear this, and she's never going to allow us to take our daughter there. So uh, I appreciate that, man. Problem. <laughs> I'm glad to do it. Thanks, D, man. I'll holler at you later. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. That's David Grubb, host of Hard in the Paint in New Orleans on Sports 1280, Monday through Friday, 10 to 12. He's also a contributor and writer to CrescentCitySports.com and The Bird Rights. Appreciate him. We had the off-the-air conversation about all just the awful, crappy jobs. But you know what? You learn about yourself, you learn how to deal with people, and you learn how to succeed in life based on those crappy jobs. And I appreciate David sharing his memories with us today on this latest episode of the Rap Game Podcast. That's going to do it for us. Make sure to tune in next week. We'll drop a new episode then. Also tune in weekday mornings 6 to 9 on 1037 the game of kidding at a sports station for rp3 and company that's my day job y'all be safe out there be kind to one another and talk to you next time i'm out <laughs>